Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman, Oklahoma. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Guys, I'm so excited to continue our series on the life of Christ. We have been going through the book of Mark, and we're going to be continuing that today. And um, I figured we're at a good, good time in our series. We've um, talked about who Jesus is, how he's fully God, fully man. And then we talked about when Jesus calls the disciples, about what a disciple is. And now in the, in the time of the story, it's, I think, important to understand why was Mark writing his gospel account? Um, what is the theme of Mark? And that's really what we'll be talking about today. Uh, it's going to be a shorter message because I want to make sure that you guys have time at your tables today to discuss the Easter story, okay? So um, we'll be talking about the theme of Mark's gospel. And you might be asking, Kevin, if this is uh, recorded history, why does it need to have a theme? I think that's totally an appropriate question, but I want you to put yourself in the first century for a second, okay? It's around 50 AD. It's a few years after Jesus' death, and word is getting around about this guy who performed miracles, about this guy who casted out demons, and about this guy who not only died, but he rose from the dead, okay? So if you weren't there, you would be a little curious about, okay, what is real? What is myth? And what is this all about? So Mark decided to, as a firsthand account, based on Peter's uh, sermons, he wrote the account of Mark, okay? And so during this, mess, or during this account, one of the things that Mark really focuses on is not just the historicity and the importance of the events that transpired, but he talks about Jesus as the suffering ser servant, okay? Jesus as the suffering servant, now, Jesus, he is the Messiah or the deliverer, the one who will save. And one of the things that's interesting about the expectations of the disciples is they were expecting someone totally different than Jesus. When they read the prophets, whenever they read who the Messiah would be, one of the things that they focused on was not Isaiah 53, which is the passage we'll be looking at today, but instead they looked at the things that talked about Jesus declaring victory or being some type of figure who would institute not just the kingdom of God in a, a spiritual sense, but in an earthly sense. And so that's one of the things that the disciples were expecting. The disciples were expecting someone who would establish an earthly kingdom, a warrior maybe, someone who was a militaristic leader. And what they got was something that they totally unexpected. Imagine the king of kings, the Lord of lords, being a suffering servant. It's totally different than what the disciples expected. Now, another case of an, a time in which someone was totally different than what everybody expected was in the classic movie Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. Do we have any Star Wars fans in the building? Yeah? Okay, I love it. Okay, so a time in which there was maybe missed expectations or something being totally different than what people expected was in the Phantom Menace, okay? So there was this prophecy that the good guys had, okay? And there was this chosen one who would bring balance to the force, 
I know, sounds super cool, right? Not nerdy at all. He would bring balance to the force. And basically, he would bring balance to everything that all these people experienced. There would be no more, uh, no more struggle. It would be perfectly in balance. But what they found was not some king, not some ruler, not some warrior. What they found was a little child, a slave. And he ended up being totally different than what they expected in more ways than one. Now, obviously, Anakin's not the Messiah, but it is an example, it is a picture, listen, it is a picture of time, a time when what we expect was not what actually was. And Jesus, in his miracle ministry in Galilee, through his entire ministry, his three years in which he was performing miracles, casting out demons, he constantly and consistently defied what they expected. Okay, and we're going to be looking at a passage uh, in, in, um, in Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. That's where we'll be. I wanted to take a look at that, but one of the things that I think we may have a tendency to do, or maybe our culture has a tendency to do, is to have in our mind a picture of Jesus, have a picture of what we want to maybe focus on about Jesus, maybe characteristics that we really like, maybe there's certain things that we consider important about Jesus, but we don't necessarily like to look at the whole picture of Jesus. And maybe you've heard these phrases, or maybe you've even thought of these phrases. Jesus didn't judge, so why should we? Well, time and again, we see that Jesus condemns sin and will come to judge in the last days. Or how about this phrase? Jesus preached the gospel. He didn't care how people lived. Not only didn't, did Jesus preach that he was the way, the truth, and the life, but he called people to repent from their sinful lives. What about this? Jesus was just a moral teacher. Well, Jesus himself claimed to be God. And he performed miracles. This was not someone who was just merely a moral teacher. And one of the most important aspects of Mark's gospel account is that it gives us a picture of who Jesus really was and who he really is. The Messiah was not this warrior. He was not this merely earthly king, but he was a suffering servant. And let's look at how James and John had missed expectations and misunderstood who Jesus was. And it says this, Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Verse 38, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
See, James and John in this passage, they're still thinking about this earthly kingdom. They're still thinking about the opportunity to rule alongside Jesus. And imagine, whenever Jesus says, can you drink from the cup I drink? What were James and John picturing? They were, they were imagining maybe an incredible feast in a throne room, right? They were thinking of this beautiful display of royalty. So obviously, when Jesus asked, can you drink from the cup I drink? They're like, oh yeah, we can. We totally can. But what we'd come to find out is that the cup that Jesus drinks from is one of suffering, a cup of suffering cup of dying for the sake of the gospel. And that's exactly what happens with James and John. They die a death because of the gospel. See, Jesus tells them that the glory they expect by thinking that drinking the cup that he drinks, they may have thought of this glorious kingly dinner. He instead get, they instead get a similar fate that Jesus receives. And Jesus corrects these interpretations. I want to focus on verses 42 through 45 for a second. Once again, time and again, Jesus flips the script, and he does so here. He's trying to help them see that the Christian life is countercultural. It's not about authority. It's not about power. It's not about being first. It's about service. It's about laying your life down for your brother. It's about being a servant. And the Messiah, the King of Kings, the suffering servant, he did exactly that. And we'll see how he fulfills this prophecy in Isaiah 53. You guys have heard this, but um, this is such an important passage around Easter because it reminds us not only of the attitude of Jesus, but what he accomplished on the cross and what he accomplished through the resurrection, okay? So let's see how he fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah 53. We're gonna, if you have your Bibles, I would suggest opening it up because I messed up on the slides and we're missing verses like four through seven. Uh, so go ahead and turn to your Bibles, Isaiah 53, and follow me along there. We'll start in verse 2, okay? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. So here we see who Jesus was, what he was really like. He was God in flesh, yet he wasn't physically impressive, right? It says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. So he wasn't physically impressive, and he wasn't glowing, you know? He, he didn't have this aura around him that he was obviously spiritual, he didn't live this posh life, and he was familiar with pain. And in Hebrews, it's hard, he says that, it says that he is our sympathetic high priest. And what does that mean? It means he knows our pain. He knows our struggles. He was tempted in every way like, like us, and he suffered just like us. He experienced pain just like us. He knows us. He knows you, and he knows me. He's not some far-off God. He's a God that is so near, he came to us. He is so near, he came to us in flesh. Let's continue in verse four. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our 
iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And here we see the beauty of the gospel, guys. Here we see the beauty of the gospel. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, came to this earth for a reason. And that reason was to die. He came to be the punishment. He came to fulfill the punishment that we deserved. We all, what we have earned for our sin is eternal death and separation from God. That's what we've earned. It says in Hebrews that there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So Christ going to the cross, it wasn't just that he died, but he had the power to stop it at any moment. And he chose to die. He was not a victim in the sense that he had no control or power over the situation, but he was crushed based on the fact that he knew his purpose for coming to this earth. Because Jesus died on the cross and bore our suffering and died the death that we deserved by being pierced for our transgressions, we can be restored back to God. If we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, by his wounds we are healed. That's what that means. By his wounds we are healed. Let's continue. Verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and, was the with, and with the rich in his death. And though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus could have stopped his death. He was fully God. He had that power. But he willingly died for us. And that's an important thing to note, that he died. He really died. He was assigned a grave. He, he was buried in the tomb. He was verifiably dead. It wasn't that he appeared dead. It wasn't that he appeared or um, just seemed like he was maybe in a coma, but he was actually dead. He was wrapped up, put in a tomb, and the tomb was sealed. He died for us. Now, this tomb was temporary, but the sacrifice was permanent. The tomb was temporary, but the sacrifice was per permanent. It continues in verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made the intercession for the transgressors. It was always the plan. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Think about that for a second. It was always the plan for Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me. Our actions and our choices, the times when we've disobeyed, the times when we've gone our own way, there was a price 
that was paid for that. There's a seriousness to our sin. There's a seriousness to the choices that we make. And when we discount how serious that sin is, we discount the seriousness of the sacrifice. When we minimize how big of a deal our sin is, we make the cross less of a big deal. Guys, I want you to think about, just ponder on the fact that God sent his own son to die on the cross, a death that he did not deserve. Have you ever gotten in trouble for something you didn't do? Have you ever seen someone unjustly accused? How unfair that is. Oftentimes we say this life isn't fair or hell isn't fair. We have all sinned and we have all gone astray and what we deserve is to be separated from God forever. If God was unfair, he was unfair in our favor by providing a way out of what, our, what we have deserved, by providing a way out to be saved and rescued from our sin. And it's not just this, this future hope that we have, but it is a here and now hope. God promises to give us a spirit for anyone who would trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. He promises us his spirit that he would dwell with us. There's here and now hope that this sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, not only was it the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, but it was the Lord's will that this would be the way of salvation for all who would choose to follow him. So I have a question. Have you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? Because not only did our Savior die on the cross, not only did he die, but what are we here to celebrate today, guys? He will see the light of life and be satisfied. This death was temporary. This death could not hold God in flesh. This death was not more powerful than God. So Jesus, not only did he die, not only did he live and die and was perfectly human, but he was perfectly God. And we see his deity in the resurrection. We see that he was who he said he was, that he was the son of God, that he had the power to conquer death, and he has the power to forgive sin. If we believe the resurrection, then we can believe anything else. If we believe the resurrection, then we can believe anything else. Friends, what we celebrate today is Christ resurrected, making a way to conquer death and to conquer sin. That is a big deal. All right, so we're going to enter a time of worship. So yeah, let's praise Jesus.
Jesus, we love you and we're grateful for you. Lord, thank you for this day, for rising from the grave. I pray that as we go throughout today, we um, celebrate what you have done for the cro- on the cross for us um, and the hope that we have for eternity. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.